Shalom, and welcome to Jewish Boston, the Vibe of the Tribe podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Manzavan, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Dan Selickson. What's up, Dan? Well, Miriam, I'd like to start by apologizing for being a little bit late today. Circumstances were, of course, beyond my control. I'm kidding. It was all my fault. Seriously, we are living in an era of terrible apologies, or worse, non-apologies. The hashtag MeToo movement prompted a whole bunch of bizarre and awkward apologies from men who were seeking to explain, justify, or exonerate themselves for terrible behavior, creating word salads of faux remorse, blame shifting, and of course, trying to change the subject. I mean, take Mario Batali, for example. When he apologized for sexual harassment, in his apology, he included a recipe for pizza dough cinnamon rolls. True story. Like you do. We also have the ubiquitous, I'm sorry if anyone was offended, apology, which isn't really an apology at all, but more of a PR move. It has been used by many celebrities from Khloe Kardashian for her many cultural appropriation missteps to Matt Damon's comments about diversity on his show Project Greenlight. The mistakes were made variety of apology is also very popular, a rhetorical device meant to deflect the blame elsewhere, like when Southwest Airlines declared itself disheartened to see a customer removed from a flight by police, even though they were the ones who called the police in the first place. So why are we talking about apologies in this episode? Right now, we're in the month of Elul, when Jews take account of our behavior and a process called Cheshbon HaNefesh and make personal and sincere apologies to anyone we may have intentionally or unintentionally wronged in the past year. Jews also begin to recite Slichot, a series of prayers for forgiveness during Elul in the lead-up to Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement when Jews ask for God's forgiveness for any misdeeds and spend the day fasting, praying, and reflecting. What we're talking about today is what makes an apology a good apology or real apology, and we're going to find out with the help of an expert, Carla Naumberg, Ph.D. Carla is a writer, speaker, and clinical social worker. She's the author of three books about parenting, including the forthcoming How to Stop Losing Your Shit with Your Kids. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times and Washington Post, among other places. Carla is a sought-after public speaker coaching overwhelmed parents on how to make parenting less stressful and more fun. She lives outside of Boston with her husband, two young daughters, and as she describes them, two completely insane cats. Carla, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. I'm delighted to be here. So in Judaism, uh, we place this idea of self-accounting during the holiest holidays of the year, and that means that apologizing or cleaning the slate is is deeply significant. What to you is the spiritual significance of apologizing? So when I think about spirituality, I think about connection, connection to ourselves Connection, connection to our community, to our family and friends, and connection to God or the universe or however you think about that. And when we have created a rift, um, when we have done something either on purpose or inadvertently or accidentally that's created some distance between ourselves and others, we don't feel connected. We don't feel connected to our best self, to the people nearest to us, um, to whatever feels important. And I think apologizing is a really powerful and important step towards rebuilding that connection and feeling um, like we're on solid ground again with ourselves and with the people who matter to us, with God, with you know whoever or whatever. That's how I think about apology in a, in a spiritual sense. 
In our intro, we mentioned some examples of terrible apologizing. <laughs> so what would you say are the ideal steps towards apologizing? This is such a great question, and I spent a lot of time thinking about this and, and reading about it, and I've put together some steps that I like, and they're based on um, the work of Maimonides, who, as we know, did, wrote a lot about apologies, and also uh, Marjorie Ingall, who is the author of Mamala Knows Best, and she uh, writes a blog, co-writes a blog called Sorry Watch. So these are some of the steps I've put together. Um, first, I think it's really important to straight up own what you did. You know, say it, I did this. Um, say it in a really active voice. Uh, be clear about what happened and apologize for it. I've seen a lot of apologies where the person doesn't actually say they're sorry. So I am sorry I did this for me is the first step. Um, I think the next step is really acknowledging the impact of what you did. And you may not understand or know the full impact, but give it a shot. You know, I, I, I think I hurt you. Um, I think that I broke your window. I know I broke your window. Like whatever it is, take a, take a shot at, at really acknowledging the impact of your behavior. Um, you know, I think you can throw in a little bit of explanation there if you want to, but that can be a slippery slope because you can, you can sound defensive. Um, it can sound like you're justifying your behavior and while that may be a conversation for another time, I don't think that's, that goes in the apology. So a brief explanation I'm okay with, but you really got to be careful there. Um, I think if you can, give the other person a chance to talk and listen to them. So don't go into this apology if you're not in a place where you can hear and listen to the other person. If you can't do that, then, then you got to take a little more time before you're ready to apologize. Um, make the reparations. Fix it if you can. If, if you broke something, replace it. Fix it. Uh, sometimes, though, if, if it's uh, an interpersonal problem, you may not be able to fix it so easily, but a really authentic, heartfelt apology will go a long way. And then here's the last step. I've read a lot of places where they say, promise to never do it again. I have a problem with that. I, I don't think we should be making promises that we can't necessarily keep. And we'll, we'll talk about this more later, but I apologize to my kids for yelling at them. And if I promised never to do it again, I'd be lying. I can't make that promise. But what I will say is do your best not to behave that way again in the future. And if you have some strategies or ideas for not doing it again, you can say that. So I will say to my kids, for example, I'm really tired I yelled at you because I'm so exhausted. I'm not being my best self. So I'm going to actually just try to open my mouth less tonight. Like that's my strategy. Just literally open my mouth less because then it'll be less likely to yell at you. But I, I don't ever tell people promise not to do it again because I don't think we should be making promises we can't keep. Um, so those are my ideal steps. But if you read around, other people have different ideas. But I think that those are sort of the pieces that I like to see in a good apology. So when you're dealing with children, uh, I, I've noticed a lot with my kids and when I see other parents with kids, when one kid does something terrible to another kid, the instinct of the parent is to stop, go apologize. Is there, and, and you mentioned in the steps that don't apologize until you're ready to do so. Is there any meaning in an apology, you know, what kind of a reflexive apology? I screwed up, I was wrong. Okay, sorry, let's move on. Oh, that's a great question. Or do we really need this meaning? And, you know, I don't know if a child can ever get that distance enough to say, okay, I really wronged someone. 
So I hear two questions in there. I hear the question about the meaning of a sort of reflexive apology. And then I hear the question, I'm hearing question about should you make your kid apologize? So in terms of the first one, I really think it depends on the gravity of the situation. Like if it's, if you just bumped into someone, yeah, I think saying you're sorry in a very quick reflexive way is kind of a nice acknowledgement. Like, hey, sorry that happened. Why not? Uh, but obviously, if it's a bigger issue, no, don't bother saying it if you're going to sort of, if it's a one-off, like, eh, whatever, sorry. I think that's meaningless. Don't don't even bother to say that. Um, but yeah, in smaller moments, sure, yeah. Um, in terms of making your kid apologize, is that should we talk about that real quick? Sure, yeah, because we're going to talk about kids later, but we're going to talk about it from the parents' point of view, which I think you, you started to get to, but I want to I wanna talk about that in a little more depth later. I think reasonable parents can disagree on this. I think some parents really feel like, you know, yeah, you make your kid apologize. They do something wrong, you make them. And I think other parents are like, no, you shouldn't make your kid say anything. And if they don't know how to apologize, they don't know how to do it yet. And I don't have a strong feeling about that. I think parents should really do what feels comfortable for them. So adults actually uh, are, as we discussed earlier, capable of producing terrible apologies. Terrible. And, you know, when we talk about Mario Batali or Bill Clinton or, you know, the, the kind of the presidential idea of not the current president, past president, I can't even, uh, I can't go there with the current <laughs> one. When we talk about past presidents who say something like mistakes were made, you know, this sort of somehow mistakes were responsible for what went wrong. What are some other words or phrases or triggers to avoid when one is attempting to make a, a meaningful apology? Yeah. So first of all, passive, passive voice mistakes were made. Don't, don't do that. That's just baloney. Come on, people. Um, I think that, again, trying to overly explain or justify your behavior, don't. You're not there to apologize then. You're there to get the other person to not be mad at you by explaining yourself. That's different from an apology. Um, I think words like always or never can be triggering in the middle of an apology. Um, the one that drives me nuts is, I was just trying to crack a joke. You're being overly sensitive. Like, please, don't, don't, don't So th do that puts it on the victim. Right. Yeah, that like, put, yeah. I'm sorry, but yeah. you were just being too sensitive. And, and also that usually happens after they've made a, well, they said something, it's not funny, but they're just trying to cover their butts. Yes. They're like, that was totally, totally a joke. Yeah, no, no, not a joke. And I think that anything that starts with, I'm sorry, but, like, the minute you get to the butt, right. just shut your mouth. Don't try to apologize. Um and I think that really a great place to start is I messages, like starting your sentences with the word I, taking responsibility for your behavior. If you're starting a sentence with, but you, don't. Again, stop. That's that's not what we're going for. Um, so that's what I think of, you know, trigger words. And I think also thinking about your tone of voice and your physical stance. And I think that saying things in person is really important when you can. Like, go find mm -hmm. the person and actually apologize, which stinks. I would much rather never talk to a person and just text or email all the time, right? Me who, too. Who wants to have that conversation? Nobody. It's so painful. But really important to go find the person if you can, do it in person. But if you're standing there with, like, your hip jutting out and your arms crossed, giving them a dirty look, and you're like, I'm sorry, don't do not do that, right? I, That's triggering too. And then the person is in this weird place where they're like, you apologized, but you totally didn't. And I don't know what to do with that. I've so. always wondered what what to make of people who are incapable of apologizing. Like what, what kind of person is that? Is that a sociopath? Is there is there something in that person that, that desperately needs fixing? That they're like Mario Batali. He did terrible, terrible things. And he's giving us a half apology and a, and a recipe. Um. 
I think most of the people who can't apologize are suffering from this terrible condition called humanity. <laughs> That's I think awful. It's, it's hard. No, we it's have hard. that. Yeah, it's a tough one. It's, we all have it. And, you know, we, we are part of a tradition that explicitly teaches us about apologizing. That's a gift. That's amazing. So many... Um, so many traditions, so many families, so many cultures. I don't know if they do. The American culture as a whole does, does a horrible job teaching people how to apologize. So if you don't grow up with a model for how to do it, if you never see it, of course you're going to be terrible at it. And that's okay. You can practice. But I was I was giving a talk once to a bunch of parents, and I, I told this, you know, I'm talking for an hour about this and that, and in the middle of it, I told some story about me pulling some really bonehead parenting move and I apologize to my kids and I move on because this is like every five minutes in my house and it had nothing to do with the bigger point and at the end of the talk this mom raises her hand and she said wait you we can apologize to our kids (laughs) and I, I wanted to hug her like this was like this moment for her where all of a sudden Aww. she had this revelation and I was like, whoa, apologizing is one of my go-to parenting moves. Right. Um, and so I think that a lot of people grow up in families and communities where they're not taught that apology is part of the deal, that it's just part of being human, part of being in a relationship with somebody. Nobody ever apologized to them. And so it's, they have no, it's like a different language. I apologize to my dog. <laughs> That's really adorable. (laughs) Well, I mean, she's my child. That's really cute. (laughs) So we are coming right up on Rosh Hashanah now. And since it's the Jewish New Year's, it's, you know, we're thinking about New Year's resolutions. So are there any resolutions that you could recommend in terms of us being better at at seeing when an apology is in order and how to make better apologies when we realize it's an appropriate thing to do? Yeah. Yeah. I would say, first of all, put apology on the table as something you want to do as part of your life. Like some folks just don't think about it. And then, you know, the high holidays come around and it's like, oh, I have to eat all the food because then I'm not going to be able to eat all the food and then I have to sit in services. And and the apology piece kind of gets lost. Mm -hmm. Or we cram it all into like those, you know, those couple weeks around the holidays and then it kind of goes away. So talk about it with your family. Talk about it with your spouse or parenting partner. Talk about it with your kids. You know, find some way to just put it back on the table in your life as a thing to think about. Um, And then the next step is really to notice when we've hurt or wronged someone. Because I don't know about you guys, but when I do that, I don't want to think about it. Like, I just just want it to go away. And it, it, it feels yucky, but sort of being willing to sit in that space of, I screwed up, I hurt someone, um, I need to figure out how to make this better. It's yucky and gross and I never want to do it, but I do it anyways because it's important. And so realizing and remembering that you're not alone, every human does it, because I, I don't know about you guys, but I get to this place after I say something dumb or, or hurtful that I immediately convince myself that I'm literally the only person who's ever done that. <laughs> how do I, why does my brain do this? Yeah. I don't know why. And so... I have to make a point, and I'll even call my friends and be like, have you ever said something kind of dumb? And they're like, yeah, of course we have. So it's useful to have friends who will give you a reality check. Um, so I think, again, noticing and being willing to admit to yourself that you've you've hurt someone, you've done something wrong, you've made a mistake, and then go find that person and apologize. And if you're not used to apologizing, it's gonna feel weird. If anyone has ever learned how to speak another language as an adult, you know how the, the words like don't really come off your mouth right and they sound kind of weird and you don't know how to put them together. 
you can say to them, I'm sorry, I'm kind of stumbling through this, but I want to get this out, right? Is it bad to apologize, just asking for me, um, is it <laughs> bad to apologize out of a sense of overwhelming guilt? Like, sometimes I apologize to people and they don't know, I, I didn't do anything actually. Like, they're like, what are you talking about? But I am hyper vigilant about um, maybe did I say something offensive? Did I, you know, make them feel bad in some way? And so it's not only me apologizing because it's the right thing to do. It's because, like, I'm in excruciating guilt pain and have to, like, alleviate it. Is that normal? Yes, that's normal. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> thank God. Confirmed normal. I am here to tell you you are normal. <laughs> um Look, guilt is is a horrible emotion, and I think it's it's fairly useless unless it propels us to action. Mm. So yeah, if that's the feeling that gets you to apologize to someone, yes. But you you said two interesting things that I want to talk about. One is, if you're not sure if you've offended someone, go ask them. And I just did this the other day. I was in this group of people, and I made this comment, and I couldn't tell if it landed, and I could. So I went and asked the woman, and she mm-hmm. was like, "No, it's fine." <laughs> and then it was good to know because I right. overthink everything. Right. Um, The other thing that you touched on, though, is I think I want to just touch on briefly the gender imbalance in apologizing. Oh, great point. Yes. Women. Women apologize all the time for things we don't need to apologize for. And I think we undermine ourselves. We we sort of take away our own power, disempower ourselves. And I'm seeing this in my daughters already. And Mm. I am starting to say to them, you don't need to apologize for how you feel. You don't need to apologize for the fact that you're about to tell me you don't like my dinner. You, you're allowed to say that. You should apologize for the fact you didn't eat it, you little <laughs> punk. But, like, I don't think we ever have to apologize for our feelings. I think yeah. we should apologize for behavior. Sure. Right. So I'm, I'm already trying to, to work with my daughters, who are currently eight and nine years old, around what is something that actually requires an apology and what is something that does not. That is so valuable because it's something that I have noticed more and more. I don't think I was ever overtly trained to constantly apologize as a woman but it's something that I've definitely taken in and I always on the tee if someone bumps into me sometimes I'll say sorry which is ludicrous but yeah <laughs> but it's just like oh sorry ha ha laugh it off um and I've definitely noticed that it's it's sort of a go-to thing to say when you don't have anything it's, else it's, specific you to know say. someone very close to me in my life when she calls Often the first thing she'll say is, sorry. I'm like, why are you, what are you apologizing for? Yeah. You don't have to apologize mm-hmm. for calling. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it, and, and I've said, I, I don't know what you're apologizing for, but there there's no reason to, and I don't want to, I don't want to splain. Yeah, don't I don't, I don't want to. I, I really don't want to say, please don't do this, because that's what you do. And then do. she'll say sorry, probably, because... So, it puts you in a tricky situation. Yeah. It I does. don't. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how to deal with that, but I, I, I do hear this apology for nothing, for yeah. for no good reason, and it makes me kind of sad. You know, it, it kind of like I what? Yeah. Me yeah. of all people to apologize to? I'm just <laughs> some schlub here answering the phone. You don't have to apologize to me. Uh, but I, I want to get to um, also uh, another difficult situation which is um parenting and i know that parenting without losing your shit is is your specialty in your forthcoming book yeah when is that coming out by the way i'm sorry when is that book coming out i i don't know so the current update is um right now as we speak uh i'm about a week away from the first complete total draft to be done. Mazel. Thank you. I'm waiting for the confetti to fall out of your ceiling, and it's not. So next time, can we... Um, it's a drop ceiling. I am so sorry. I want the confetti, people. Um, and so it will either be out probably next spring or, or next fall. 
but it's the book is almost written and then I get to work with my amazing publishing house Workman to make it look awesome and uh, hopefully it'll be out soon. Well, that's good because a lot of parents are currently losing their shit and could really use your Present book. company included. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <Me too. laughs> and, and I just, you know, I want to talk about the fact that for, um, for my wife and me, um, parenting is trying. And I know it is for our friends, too, especially, you know, we have young children, eight and three. Um, and you kind of sometimes go to bed thinking, we were crappy parents today. We did the following things and that... We did bad. And, and there wasn't a specific thing. There wasn't a moment that said we should apologize for that. But there's basically this going to bed thinking, I'm the worst parent ever. How do you kind of navigate apology season when you're feeling bad about, you know, kind of like blanket? I wasn't a good dad for the last two weeks. And I want, you know, how do you kind of go through that? Um... You're my therapist right now. Okay, all right. So I'll get to the bill afterwards. I I think there's a couple of different pieces here, and I'm also thinking about the fact that you have kids in two very different developmental stages. Like what a three-year-old can hear and what an eight-year-old can hear and take in are very different. And I didn't hear you talk about a specific behavior. I heard you talk about this inner sense of you and your wife and every parent I've ever met on the planet, this sense that like somehow we're screwing this parenting thing up. So the first step is to start a therapy jar where you can put coins, and then when the kid needs therapy, it'll be all paid for. <laughs> so that's your first step. That was um, for college, but right? We can no, whatever. Ship that. Kid it's probably more have, urgent. You know, um, brains are san- uh, intelligence or sanity. You can't have both. <laughs> no, I think the next step is there's this sense of these are sort of two different things. The sense of blaming yourself or feeling like you're a bad parent is different from having something to apologize for your child. And I think we parents have this totally unreasonable expectation about what a, quote, good parent is in this day and age. But when you live in a house with other people, especially with people where you didn't get to pick their personality, like, I chose my husband. I like him. We get along well. I didn't pick my kids' personalities. I wasn't like, hey, I want that one. You get what you get, and sometimes you get really upset. But the point is that... um, I think that parents these days have a much lower tolerance for a normal, what I typical, let me say typical level of chaos and feelings and bickering and and that has that for eloquent. That's going to happen when you live with other people. It's part of the deal. It doesn't mean you're a bad parent. It doesn't mean you're failing at parenting. It's just part of the deal. And learning that you can be in a connected loving relationship with other people and sometimes like yell at each other that's probably a good setup for the rest of your life because that's reality right so I think the first piece is figuring out how to let yourself off the hook and we can talk about that but that's more about self-compassion I think Mm -hmm. and and forgiving yourself than apologizing now having said that um, my family and I, you know, we belong to a synagogue in Newton we do Tashlik and I will say to my girls every year I am sorry for yelling at you. I am sorry for all the times I lost my temper with you. And the the high holidays give us a really lovely um, context for having that conversation and for normalizing it, which I think is great. Um, But I I don't ever apologize for my feelings. I don't ever say I'm sorry for feeling angry because I'm allowed to feel, everybody's allowed to feel angry. Um, And then we, we will sometimes talk about what can we, uh, the, what is the goal for the, the new year? And I never say I'm not going to yell at you in the new year because 
please come on um but I'll, I'll i'll say you know maybe i can work on becoming more patient or something like that did that answer your question yeah yeah absolutely yeah. okay um i still have to think about how to uh re kind of repurpose the jar right but yeah it it, it, it did it's going to go from college to uh, therapy right, thank right. you Very that's useful. a good idea <laughs> So in this this process, forgiveness can also be very, very, very complex. Like, how should we handle it if someone isn't ready um, or doesn't want to forgive us after we have given a legitimate, heartfelt apology? Yes, that is a big and important question. And I feel like apologies and forgiveness get very tangled up in each other. And it's important to kind of separate them. So what if I am... If I understand it correctly, what Jewish tradition says is that you uh, apologize and ask for forgiveness three times. And I think there's something in there about getting witnesses for some of it, which, gosh, like inviting people over. It really like, depends what you did. Yeah, you know, like now you have to watch me. But, but at that point, our responsibility to them is done. And in like theoretically they can't hold us liable anymore. But I know obviously in the real world it doesn't really work. But I like this idea that there is a limit to how many times we need to apologize. Mm -hmm. And whether the three works for you or not, I love the idea that like you do your best and at some point you got to let it go because you can't control what the other person does. So what I would say is first of all, don't walk into an apology needing forgiveness because the apology fundamentally has to be about you. And if you make it about what the other person is going to give you in return, then it's not about you. So um, the reality is that not being forgiven is super painful. It's awful. It stinks. And it's not something we can control. But again, I think a deep and heartfelt and honest apology is the first step. And then I think it takes time. Like you have to give a person time to heal. And I think at some point you have to just be really gentle with yourself and find a way to forgive yourself. If the other person can't do that, that's a sad thing. And it happens to lots of us. We've all had friendships or relationships that end and they never get repaired. Mm -hmm. And that that's part of life. It's part of sort of the pain of adulting, you know, and hopefully we will learn from it. You know, I, I sent one time, I sent an email to the wrong person. Oops. The relationship, it was in college. Email was really new. It was Pine. Do you guys remember Pine in college? I'm kind of, I'm dating myself. This is like, it was a really I don't think email existed when I was in college, so don't worry about it. Was, it was like my first, no, it was my first year, and we were like, what is this thing? And you could poke people, and we thought that was hilarious. Oh, the one of the commands that. was like poking people Wait, over email. but only on Facebook. No, this was way before Facebook. Okay, that I don't was paper that. Facebook, honey. <laughs> Literally paper and staples, Facebook. And I, I, um, I, I emailed somebody. You know, I made the mistake, and a rant went to the wrong person, and that relationship never survived. Mm-hmm. That person never forgave me. And you bet your tushy, I have not made that mistake again. And that was like twenty years ago. So, yeah. hopefully, we learn from it. Hopefully, we learn to be gentle with ourselves, and over time, it gets easier. But some of us carry, carry that weight our whole lives, and it's awful. Yeah. So before we talk about forgiving ourselves, which I do want to touch upon, what if the, uh, you know, we flip this uh, scenario a little bit. What if it's us who has been wronged and we are in the position of of forgiving and we're having a really difficult time? Because I certainly know that I've had where I know I should forgive somebody, but deep down I can't. Yes. How can we move past that? Yes. So first I want to say that there's, 
we are so fortunate to belong to a tradition that has a lot to say about this. So we yeah. don't have to figure this out on our own. And if you don't yet feel comfortable talking about this with someone else, um, go to My Jewish Learning. Go to Tablet. Uh, my favorite book on this topic is The Sunflower by Simon Wiesenthal. It's amazing. It's all about forgiveness. Read what people smarter than us have to say about this, and that is helpful. Um, I think, you know, forgiveness is fundamentally about letting go of these angry, negative, painful feelings we have about another person. And that's not easy, but ultimately it's going to benefit us because I don't, none of us want to carry that yuckiness around inside. So I think the way to get there is to give ourselves time and space, um, to continue to be really gentle with ourselves, spend time with people who love us. Um, and I think that remembering that forgiving someone is about letting go to the extent we can about those those big hard feelings but it doesn't mean we have to have the same relationship with them that we did before right you can say look i i actually am not angry with you anymore and i don't hold you responsible anymore and i understand why you did this but p.s and you may not want to say this i'm never going to put myself in that situation <laughs> again i learned my lesson yeah. and now the boundaries are going up so if i see you it's good i will smile and say hello and I'm not going to go home and spend all night, you know, eating ice cream and, and thinking angry thoughts about you. But there are boundaries. That, and that's okay. You can forgive someone and still put up boundaries to keep yourself safe um, or just not put yourself in that position. So I think it's important to remember that forgiveness is not a guarantee that we're going to go back to where we were before. And that's okay. Yeah. So our last question about is about uh, self-forgiveness, which is... I find the hardest of them all. <laughs> what can you tell us about how we should begin that process? So for me, self-forgiveness and self-compassion, really close. Mm -hmm. Like buddies hang out a lot. I'm ha I have a hard time distinguishing between the two. So the way I think about self-compassion, and this comes from my, my studies and my practices of mindfulness, is that especially in Western culture, it is not a thing that comes naturally. It is mm. not a thing our parents teach us. I spent 10 years studying psychology and social work, and I never heard those two words put together. It just it was not on anybody's radar. And now, thanks to some great researchers here in the Boston area and out of Texas, um, it's a thing now that we're studying and understanding. And the way I want folks to think about self-compassion is it is a practice. Mm. Now, when I say practice, I don't mean like, a law practice, like a job. I mean, it's a thing that you do. Think about when your kid goes to the soccer field and practices. Have you ever seen like three-year-olds play soccer? They're horrible at it. They are awful. Like they can't get their little feet to connect with the ball and they trip and then you look over and they're like picking their nose in the middle of the field. And then you think about high school kids, right? They're incredible. They're amazing. And it's because they practiced, they got better. So you got to start out by thinking of yourself as like a three-year-old on the self-compassion field. And what are the elements of self-compassion? Well, think about what you would do if you had a friend who came to you and was like, I totally screwed up. I screwed up at parenting. I screwed up with my dog. I screwed up with my friend. I said this awful thing. I was the worst. Would you say to this person, yeah, you actually suck. You are terrible. No, I'd right? say, you Dan, it's okay. Right. Right, Dan. I like how you're on it, Dan. Poor Dan. Um, it really depends just how much you suck, I guess. Right. Is, is I guess. Really but you, like, generally, you wouldn't be like, you suck, go no, shove a tray of brownies no, in your face and, like, no. cry in the corner. You would not say that. No. So don't, don't say that to yourself. Try to imagine saying to yourself what you would say to a friend. You'd be like, look, 
we all make mistakes. It feels awful. It's okay. Like this happens. This will pass. It'll get better. Like, let's go hang out and like wrap ourselves in a nice blanket. This is a very womanly thing to do. I don't know what men do. Do you, I don't know. I would sure wrap myself like in a nice too. blanket. Do you, Can you confirm or deny? Probably watch sports on the couch. Fine. Like, yeah, go watch But would there be a right? blanket? Probably not. Right. No, probably okay. not. Nice, I learned something. But you have the nice blanket, right? Yeah. Right. But like do something nice for yourself that offer yourself comfort. So that's the, the, an important step. And the other step that's such a crucial part of self-compassion is reminding yourself over and over again that you are not alone. Mm. This is human nature. This is part of the deal for all of us. And the more you practice it. So for me, like a few years ago, I was like bad mommy central. You know, the minute anything happened with my kids, it was like, I'm a terrible mom. I'm screwing this up. Like my brain went there so quick. And now the place I most likely go is, wow, it's a hard day. Parenting is hard for everyone. I am not in my best self, so what can I do? Do we need to put the kids in front of the TV so I can go chill in the corner and stare at the wall? Do we need to go have a group snuggle? Like, do I need to call in another adult and, like, tap out because I can't handle this? So compassion very quickly gets you to a place of action, which is great. And sometimes the compassion is, I got to go apologize. Yeah. Which is hard, but it feels so much better. So... I think the way to think about compassion, there's some great books about it. You can Google self-compassion. But one of the ways to think about it is it's a practice. It's going to feel weird and hard and awkward at first. And then it really gets easier and it makes life easier and it makes it much easier to apologize. Well, Carla, I want to thank you so much for coming in today and speaking with us. Uh, these insights have been very, very helpful. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Just so I learned so much about parenting and um reappropriating funds and i this was really really great that's the point i was going for yeah i really i I really appreciate it it was great thank you so before we end this podcast in the spirit of elul i'd like to offer some apologies to dan dan i was wrong for mocking your interest in the world cup and for always trying to juice blame things to you and for getting annoyed when you didn't know all the names of game of thrones characters i apologize and while i don't promise to be better because i can't i will do my best in the coming year well, a Miriam always repays her debts. Yes, she like does. <laughs> a, like a Tyrion oh, Lannister. Oh, God, it's a Lannister. Well, I, I have to apologize. Uh, you taught me a word, Ashka normativity. That's right. And I've realized throughout the year, I have Ashka normalized a number of things, especially food and rituals and things from my own life. And there's a bigger, broader Jewish world out there, which you are a part of. And I apologize for only looking at this narrow Ashka normativity of gefilte fish and bagels and so forth. So please accept this as my apology for 2017 slash 2018 apology season. I accept your apology. Thank you so much, and I accept yours. Listeners, to make sure you don't miss an episode of Jewish Boston's The Vibe of the Tribe podcast, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, and follow at Jewish Boston on social media. Wishing all our listeners Gemar Chatimatova. May you be signed and sealed in the Book of Life. 